Welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Alan Watt appears on radio talk shows frequently. You have heard him on this show. You have heard him on other shows. And uh, you have requested that we invite him to come back and talk with you again. And that's what we've done. And I'm absolutely delighted that he's here with us. Alan, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. Okay, you're hearing an echo, aren't you? I am. And now you're not, are you? That's better, yeah. <laughs> okay. All righty then. Um, Alan, uh, first solve a mystery for me. Now, I've seen your name as Alan Watts, and I've seen it as Alan Watts. Uh-huh. Which is it? Uh, the, the other Alan Watts is dead, so it's definitely not me. Uh, he he, uh, he was a, a sort of philosopher. He was also into different religions um, back in the 50s up to the 70s. I think he died in 78. So, uh, so yours is with an S. There's just no S there. No. Now, when parts of the family go to England, they add the S on, and when they stay in Scotland, you don't put the S there. Yeah. Well, you know, the last time, and that brings up something, the last time you were here, we sort of jumped right into the subject matter and uh, really didn't give you much opportunity to introduce yourself to the uh, to the folks. Uh, who are listening, and I think it's important. I think that mm-hmm. uh, they need to know a little bit about you and your background, mm-hmm. or at least it would be helpful for them. You were born in Scotland, yeah, and now you live in Canada, is that right? That's right, uh, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time, well, for many, many years, I was into, I was a musician, uh, mixed with some up there groups, you know, and a lot of session guitar work and stuff. And uh, I have written stuff as well in the past. And eventually I just got away from the whole world basically to do a lot of thinking and put so much together because so much was happening uh, that I, I, I sort of knew what was happening but I had to get the evidence for it. And so I did a lot of research and uh, ended up doing Sweet Liberty broadcasts on the shortwave uh, beginning in 98. And it's just taken off from there. Uh, you're still doing that, right? Yeah, uh, every Wednesday. Um, is it available on the internet? Uh, it is. It's on the First Amendment uh, radio. Okay, because a lot of folks would not live where they could pick up the uh, shortwave broadcast. You, have, you, you do have to be in certain geographical areas to pick that up, right? Yeah, that's right. In 2004, the, the First Amendment radio took it as well on Internet. And so it's been on every Wednesday uh, on Internet uh, from then. But prior to that, I think it was all shortwave, yeah. In, in, unless I'm mistaken, you... Had in the early stages of your life, also spent some time uh, working rather uh, full time, I think, in, in the field of religion. Is that right? Uh, not not working in it. I delved into it for sure, um, and in the music field as well. I find there was more religion there, but it was New Age. And of course, you'll find the higher up you go in music or entertainment, uh, many people go into the OTO which is a form of Freemasonry, but it's more New Agey. And it's, it's made specifically really for uh, entertainment clash, you might say. So I mix with them all the time. 
and saw a lot of what was going on. What, what does the OTO stand for? Uh, Alistair Crowley. Um, is, no, so there's, there's a bit of debate about whether he started it up, but he's given the credit in most books. Um, Alistair Crowley, who also has been declassified from Britain, he worked for the British government in the early 1900s. Um, he began the Ordo Templi Orientis, which is a, a branch of Freemasonry, which, which again goes in, in, more into the Kabbalah, you might say, uh, more mystical uh, type of stuff. And that's all through the entertainment industry. Now, Alistair Crowley is also given credit for being the father of modern Satanism. Um, I wouldn't even say that, to be honest. I think this, that's a bit overblown, uh, a bit too much credit. He did, uh, he was involved uh, with, uh, see, I think really what to do in the higher orders, um, or probably loosely called masonry, uh, in the higher orders they tend to branch off a new, new sects of them for a new, a new period, a new era, or a new function. And in his time, in Crowley's time, uh, his was mainly to get into the entertainment and the writing industry. Um, he did certainly train a couple of people. One of them did branch off into this, it was called Satanism. Um, Crowley himself would not really be involved in that because he didn't follow really the old uh, uh, Christian or, or Judaic type religion. Yeah. Well, and that is a good point, and that is that Satanism is a flip side of Christianity. Uh, you'll find all religions have the same exoteric and esoteric meanings. They're all dualistic, in a sense. Uh, that's the symbol of the chessboard. That's also the the floor of the Masonic Hall. It's the black and white squares, the heaven and earth, spirit matter, um, the seen, the unseen. Yeah. So yeah. you reached a you reached a point in your life where you took some time out to start studying what's going wrong on the planet. Is that right? Yeah, it wasn't so much what was going wrong. It's just that I knew uh, from growing up in Britain um, uh, during a hell period, you might say, uh, when we're deindustrializing Britain, um, and every year in the newspapers, prime ministers would meet with other countries and sign agreements to do with the free trade negotiations as they kept calling it. And I knew they were amalgamating the, 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 the whole of Europe. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, it was over and done with. And sure enough, now you, be, now you had a, a European Parliament. Then the information was declassified that they'd planned this before, uh, before the end of World War II. Uh, and that the public must not be know, uh, told the truth until it was over and done. So I, uh, I, when you live through that and you grow up basically watching unemployment everywhere during that period, um, Britain overtook Sweden for the suicide rate amongst the young because Maggie Thatcher even went on television and said to the youth of Britain, she says, there's a generation growing up now who will never see work in their lifetime, so get used to it. Uh, what a future, you know. What is the benefit of that? Now, see, we're seeing something similar to that, or at least it seems to me that we're seeing something similar to that in uh, the United States with all the outsourcing. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. The world that they planned uh, before uh, World War One and Two 
Um, and this can be traced back with the records of the CFR uh, and the British uh, counterpart, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They planned uh, a world, uh, a united world of interdependence, which literally means to destroy sovereignty or nationalism, you have to make your, your economic system interrelated or interdependent on every other country. And that's when you, you see the outsourcing or parts of a vehicle made elsewhere. Uh, you couldn't, in other words, have the facilities to go to war on your own, uh, ultimately. That really was the whole point of it, to tie us all up into this interdependent world um, where a world government would make all the decisions for you. Uh, Armand Hammer, a very, very famous industrialist, uh, had close relations with the Soviet Union, did a lot of business with them. Mm -hmm. And I have seen him on television when he was alive uh, making the statement that he believed in world peace through business. Yeah. Is that what's behind this? Yeah, Karl Marx was the first uh, front man to be put out there. And that's another thing you find out the more you study, that most of the famous people in history are front men who don't come out spontaneously and say something or write something. It's uh, that there are teams of people working behind them. And uh, Marx himself said the same thing, that you'd have a tripartite world, uh, uh, three trading blocks, United Europe, United Americas, and a United Pacific Rim area under a super world government. And Marx wrote about that in the 1840s. Um, and Armand Hammer, of course, we know that, that his dad was a radical communist uh, and a backstreet abortionist. He was in, put in prison a few times for that. And Armand, and even named his son Arm and Hammer. You see, Arm and Hammer, like the Soviet sick on the hammer. Uh, that was deliberate. And uh, and he he was sent off from his family at the age of five to be trained in this world communistic uh, system. And you see, the West, in the West we think it's a working man's movement, and it never was. It was to be a, a movement of the ultra-wealthy, and you'll find Albert Pike mentioned that in his own Morals and Dogma, to succeed through finance, to conquer through finance and take over, and, and Pike says, until we become masters over the masters of the world. And so these big organizations, monopolies, came into being, and uh, Armand Hammer was trained for his role from the age of five. He was given uh, an apartment next door uh, to Stalin, you know. And he went back and forth during the whole time with, with no hindrance from either the U.S. or, or the Soviet bloc. Yeah, I, I, I remember that he was um, very often in the Soviet Union, I was always very suspicious of him, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people didn't see any reason to be suspicious. But, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, it's particularly obvious in our education system that almost everything that Marx said had to happen mm -hmm. in order to make a society communist yeah. has taken place in the American education system. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the, and, and in fact today, uh, America is more nervous as a nation about the word God than Russia is. Yeah. Uh, Russia, you know, they're not particularly uh, religious, but uh, they 
they, they believe at least in practice the freedom of children in their schools who do believe in God can pray. Yeah. But here, you have to pretend that the concept of God doesn't even exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And what's the purpose of that? <clears throat> well, uh, they knew uh, back in the 70s and, and say that, that big outfits like Theosophy is another it might be a sect of masonry they, they did get a charter in the 1800s by the Grand Lodge in England and Theosophy is based in New York for, for the United States and they churned out books in the 70s and even prior to that about this coming world structure and the kind of religion that would evolve uh, from it and he mentioned that eventually the, the, the Soviet Union would fall or appear to fall but, but the, the old religion would never have the full grasp that it had before so they're not worried about uh, uh, the, the, any resurgence on any big scale in Russia and at the same time uh, they put books out saying that they would bring down the old Christian uh, belief system it was outdated now they must go into the scientific age now theosophy in the 1800s under Madame Blavatsky uh, another front person always send fronts out there uh, she said in her book um, that the purpose of theosophy was to blend or unite spirit and science together, meaning religion and science, or, or even the individual psyche of the soul with science, which is ominous when you see where we're going because the world we're going into... That's what I was going to ask. Is that a bad thing? Uh, oh, it is, because it, it's a world... Um, uh, now, <laughs> if everything was the way they said it, it could be, we always take the, the optimistic side. But when we look at the other side of the coin, because it's always a dualistic system on the go here, um, they're looking at a world of total control of the individual. And what, I, what interested me was this oneness movement that Theosophy was sent out into the world to create. Uh, that we're all one. And uh, the money that's been spent by the biggest foundations on the planet, you know, like the Carnegie and the Ford and the Rockefeller and many other foundations promoting this oneness movement and all the encounter groups um, where you lose your identity, that's part of the purpose of it. Um, and all the various so-called cults or sects. And now it's routine. They have these places in every main city on the planet. Um, the whole purpose is to make you lose individuality in preparation for the next step, which is literally an implant, which will be fused into your nervous system and which will be able to transmit signals directly to your brain. That's where it's going. On this show, uh, you and I talked about it when you were here before. Uh-huh. I talked to Dr. Nick Begich about it as well. Uh-huh. And then uh, I've just read uh, on my own some articles on the show about uh, chip implants. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I don't think that the American people, and I include Canada and the United States in that, uh-huh. I don't think that the American people any longer have the wherewithal and stamina and grit and backbone to stand up and say not only no, hell no, we're not going to take a chip. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll just sublimely uh, submit and do it. What do you think? 
I, I think that's where it's going. I mean, the, 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 one of the Loyola University meetings, and that was held in Louisiana uh, four or five years ago, uh, it was an international science meeting sponsored by the U.S. Department of Commerce. And the reason they sponsored this science meeting to do with an implant in the head uh, was because they own us all. As we know, we are all there to serve their commercial system uh, under the bankruptcy laws. But, uh, and Newt Gingrich headed off that meeting. But they had professors from all over the world uh, who never mentioned politics or governments once which meant they were authorized, they knew the plan and the agenda. And he said that this, they said, this chip is ready to go. The military ultimately will have the, the, the final um, authority to implant them against people who resist. They said regional computers uh, are set up or will be set up, which will program everybody who gets the chip. However, to get the public to take the chip voluntarily, they would promote the good aspects of the chip. In other words, a, 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 a feint, you might say. And they said this will be shown as a, as a positive thing through cartoons, comics, movies, novels, etc. Because it's primarily the younger people they want to, to, to get to. Uh, they bypass their appearance. They make it a positive thing. And sure enough, it was after that meeting that the movie started to come out on, on Clockwork. Um, uh, to, to like the one about Final Cut, I think it was called. Um, about the brain implant that records your whole life and they would use it for funerals, etc. Uh, they, they started to show up so quickly. What is the real purpose of, of shipping people? Well, eventually, uh, you'll have uh, what they said at the meeting, at, at this uh, this meeting, international meeting. Um, what they said was, it will be the end of individuality as we know it. Uh, it will be impossible for an individual to even perceive of himself as having been an individual. He said, and, and the guy from Tokyo said, think of it more like the beehive. You'll hear the buzzing of other people's thoughts passing to and fro to central com or regional computers. And immediately when that was said, I thought, he's talking about the Borg and Star Trek, because that's what they heard, these whispers. But it would definitely be, a, yeah? Uh -huh. In any, any situation like this, there's got to be someone at the top making decisions, mm -hmm. and they obviously cannot be chipped and controlled. Uh, you, well, you'll find that this plan um, written a long time ago by all the main philosophers, the front people for the establishment uh, that pushed for globalism, that pushed for regionalism and united uh, parts of the planet. Uh, they all said the same thing, like Charles Galton Darwin, the grandson of Charles Darwin, in his book in the 1950s uh, called The Next Million Years, he, he puts forth um, this book uh, determining it have to kill off vast populations of the world's uh, uh, or people in the world's population um, to save not just to save the planet but really to stop the lesser breeds he called them the commoners from overtaking the, the elite the intellectual elite and he said they'd have to start sterilizing them or, or use any other means to start culling their numbers but he also said eventually the time would come where uh, the public will be controlled without their knowledge. And he said, we, the dominant minority who guide planet Earth, 
uh, must retain our, our ability for self-preservation because they'll be making all the decisions. Um, so, so he wrote about it in, in a, a quite a thick book called The Next Million Years, and he was a physicist um, in Britain. Well, do they not understand that when all the commoners are gone and there's mm-hmm. nothing but elite, mm-hmm. there are levels of elite. That's right, uh, because this is the traditional way of humankind. Um, the big planners of things generally do cull off those that, that bring in their system when, when their purpose is over. The world that we're going to is definitely going to be a regimented system where the masses will have no mind of their own, and they're almost there today uh, without a brain chip. Uh, the, the elite themselves will still have to work it out amongst themselves as to well, what really uh, connotes being one of the, the members of the elite. Is it just birth? Is it, is it money and birth? Is it intellect money and birth? So they'll, they'll still have to work that out amongst themselves. So some of those who are planning it for the rest of us mm-hmm. will uh, get to partake in what happens to the rest of us. Oh, absolutely. And as I said, you know, that was Charles Galton, Darwin. Uh, Lord Bertrand Russell was another one, uh, old old member of the British uh, aristocracy, who wrote many books on this agenda. He even wrote about the next coming language, which would be mathematically induced. And I think he was talking about the computer digitalized system, because if a brain implant was put in you, you wouldn't need uh, any language anymore except mathematics or, uh, or the binary code, just like a computer. So he wrote about the same system coming into place. Uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski, in his book, Between Two Ages, uh, mentions the technotronic era where time is coming. He said it was actually there, where through advanced science, they could control the, the emotions and the minds of the public without the public's knowledge. And he was talking about the, ele- the electronic warfare techniques they have through HARP and EMP and this kind of thing. So this has been done now. And what I've always realized is when the big boys put out books by themselves, not, not someone else ghostwriting it for them, when they write these books, they mean what they say and they always follow through with it. How can they put it in print and not have someone call their hands on it and put a halt to it? Because the general population suspend their disbelief. We make excuses for them. Well, I hear what he says, but he can't really mean it. Because I wouldn't do that. Therefore, they wouldn't do that. That's how we think. We don't realize we're dealing with psychopaths. So you're saying they really will do it? Oh, absolutely. Again, going back to their books in the 1700s, the 1800s, and so on, when anyone, any of the big boys put something in writing, you know, it was always followed through. They don't make wish lists and hang them out there to dry. Yeah. Okay, we are up against a break, and uh, folks, we're talking tonight with someone who's done a lot of study in this topic that we have discussed several times on this show. And uh, that is the the whole idea of being chipped. When we open the telephone lines, the telephone number, toll-free, is 1-800-289-1092. We'll be right back. And welcome back. My guest this evening is Alan Watt, and um, we are talking about some... uh, 
pretty heavy stuff, actually. Uh, I wanted to talk with someone who's done some research in this. You know, I've read a couple of articles to you, and we've discussed this matter of chipping, but I wanted to talk with someone who's done some research in this, and Alan has. So, Alan, uh, I've got a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, is, will, will this implanting of chips, will this take place worldwide? Yeah, that is the goal, um, is to be a worldwide thing for all peoples uh, beneath the, the, the elite's rule. Uh, that's what's on the cards, for sure. Yeah. Is there any way for us to escape it? Well, looking at what they've done in the past, um, they generally cover all their bases before they introduce something. They don't like to forbid you to get around something. They simply make it impossible to, for you to live otherwise. We see that with even the money system uh, or even the homesteading system. All the old laws that, that used to be on the books are gone. They've, they've blocked all the loopholes and they coerce you into things. In fact, many people, the way it's going in this insidious step-by-step technique, many people will actually go for it and, and want it. We, we see this even just with the, uh, the, the chips that are being implanted into hands and arms in, um, in places like Spain and Holland for the nightclubs. You've probably read about that in the newspapers. Unfortunately, I have not, so why don't you tell us about it? Uh, about at least a year ago, a company based in California... Uh, for some reason, I think they went over to Holland, maybe because the, the Dutch were easier to, to, to manipulate, I don't know. But they opened up a super nightclub in, in Holland. Uh, so they're using the, the Young's hormonal drive, as usual, to, to get this through. And the, the, to get into the club, you needed a chip implant. And a, a registered nurse does the implant, just injects it into your skin. And uh, the implant itself, typical of all these digital angel type implants, it has a a type of protoplasmic cover or coating on it, and it integrates with your tissue around it so that you can't just pull it out. It's it's in there. It won't move. Um, And they can charge that just like a charge card with with a prepayment, and you don't have to pull out money or carry money into the club once you're inside. Yeah, it's all deducted automatically um, from this chip that's preloaded. Uh, so, so that was started up. And then the man who was in charge of this um, just happened, as in the newspapers here, just happened to be a member or an ex-member, as he said, of the NSA, which I thought was interesting. He's in charge of setting these clubs up across the planet. And then it's opened up one in Spain, and that's doing big business too. Uh, and what they also said uh, at some of these international meetings to do with chipping, they would give it snob appeal. So you could literally have your, your bronze, silver, gold, and platinum, platinum you see. Uh, that's how it's been marketed. So many people are going for this without, without any qualms. We mentioned earlier that um, they would be able to transmit information and thoughts directly into our head. Mm-hmm. With this. Does that mean that they will eventually be putting these chips into people's heads, or can they just put it into their hand and it will still work? Uh, personally, I, although they mentioned putting it right into their, their head, probably the back of the head, just like the Matrix movie, which is probably part of the conditioning, um, they don't, I don't think they even have to do that as long as it's, it's into a nerve, it attaches itself to a nerve somewhere. 
uh, that's all it really needs. Uh-huh. And it both receives and transmits, is that right? Uh, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, one of the observations that I made on, on this show is that if you've got a transmitter inside your body, mm-hmm. uh, I cannot see a possibility that it will not damage you at the cellular level uh-huh. because it's sending out a radiated frequency. Mm-hmm. No matter how small that uh, power is, it's in there uh, with the cells of your body, mm-hmm. and I think that it's going to be a major health issue. What do you think? It's possible, but what I've also realized over many years is that at this level of, of knowledge, which is the bottom level, that's from your uh, professorship down, uh, that's the bottom level of knowledge. Uh, there's always another two above that. Uh, so so we, we, how far ahead this kind of stuff is it boggles the mind, really, when they, they can create uh, a covering which is a form of tissue itself which will integrate with your own cells including putting out tendrils into your nervous system I and mean, this is beyond what professors understand so it's a higher technology that's kept secret from like most things are that kept secret from the public but they, they have this ability here if it is secret from the public mm-hmm. how did you find out about it? I've talked to so many people over the years and and higher uh, positions, you might say. When you're in music, too, and you travel uh, to different countries, you get to meet uh, some of the upper politicians or bureaucrats, which are even more important. Um, And uh, the little things that were said over the years start to to form impressions in your mind and, and come together and start to make sense. Um, they all knew this was coming, the society was coming, uh, through all the little quips I got over the, over the different countries. Um, but it took a long time for even penetrate to me how far ahead they were. Uh, when you look at some of the old Masonic books to do with uh, the travels, for instance, of one of the, the Master Masons of Britain, and he went to France in the, in the early 1800s, or late 1700s actually, and, and he saw that his host, who was in charge of the Grand Orient Lodge, um, talk into a, what seemed to be a, a silver tea set that actually rang, and the man picked up uh, the lid of something and talked. And he heard a voice. He said, this is a person in another country. This was before uh, Alexander Bell had his telephone lines anywhere. Uh, they're always the reason you keep hold of power is by never telling the public exactly what you what level you're at. So whatever is given to the public and reinforced by popular science and all the books out there um, is actually obsolete. Whenever they say they're working towards something, they've already done it. So what's going to happen to people like you? Um, they probably go the way of the dodo bird. Uh, I don't think they're so much worried about guys like me. Um, as long as they can get the young, as I say, who are already being geared for this, this oneness, this, this we are the world stuff, uh, the globalistic society, uh, uh, that's, the, that's their targeted population. They might just let the older ones gradually die off because they always work through gradualism. So what happens, though, if they convert the economic system to the chip? You have to have the chip to buy or sell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
that's going to be a, a very meager existence for you. Uh, in a sense, yes and no. I mean, I can do with it most things that people really need if I have to. I don't take the same value in material things as most people do. Um, and, and I don't have to be in the same system, uh, you know, producing and consuming. And that's the definition of a good world citizen from the UN as a good producer and consumer. Uh, I don't have to go that route. Um, and I think, too, <laughs> uh, when you understand that one day you're going to die anyway, uh, things drastically change. Your whole world view changes. Uh, when you're 20 and you go into the military, uh, you think you're, you're impervious to all missiles and bombs because you're indestructible. Death is a foreign thing that happens to other people. When you're older, you realize you're mortal and you, one day you're going to get yours. Um, so you don't have that same worry about going along or, or, or to get along. You don't have to, you know. Well, uh, I asked earlier about is there any way to escape this? Because I think that once once people realize that it's really happening, mm -hmm. then when it's too late, you will have resistors. Yeah, and, and they know this because... H.G. Uh, Wells, another famous person in the, the literary world back in the 90, early 1900s mainly, uh, was picked at school by, by Professor Huxley, Thomas Huxley, the grandfather of Aldo Huxley, uh, or the father, and, um, and he was trained for his position as a PR man, and he also worked for the British government as a propagandist. Uh, but H.G. Wells, in his non-fiction work, uh, various works, he, did, he wrote a lot of non-fiction, although he's better known for the time machine and the shape of things to come, which again was a prediction of their plan. That's why he knew it. But uh, he also wrote uh, The Outlines of History, Part 1 and 2, and... Um, in there, he talks about the different classes of people and ethnic races of people that would even be allowed to survive in a category long before Adolf Hitler came out with the same thing. Um, and, and it was all to do with economic value. No one would, would exist without an economic function. And anybody who couldn't mimic the white man, as he said, with a work ethic would have to be wiped out. They'd have no purpose. And uh, so H.G. Wells went through that, but he also said that those who think they are opposing the New World Order, and he used that term, um, are actually fighting a lost cause because they what they're fighting to retain is a, a part of the system that was only a phase of the same elite's system. They're, they're updating their system that served its purpose into the next phase. And, and actually what he says there is true. So people who fight to retain what we thought uh -huh. was the good and the right, uh -huh. well, that good and right was only a phase in their system. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he wrote about that in the early 1900s. Is the United Nations going to be the world government, or will something replace it? Uh, it was set up to eventually become world government. I don't think it will be the, the, the ultimate one. See, and UN itself, and you understand how the, even through the French Revolution, um, and much of the same UN resolutions were passed during the French Revolution. They were adopted into the UN. 
anything to do with the Department of Population Control. Um, so this is an ongoing uh, movement done through the centuries by esoteric sects to get to the stage. And UN in French is un, which is one. That's what it means, one. The world will become as one. What is, what is, we have a minute until break. What is the Department of Population Control? It's literally uh, a, a, a part, it's integrated with the, the, the Doctor Who, as I call it, which is the, the, the health organization, the World Health Organization. Part of the World's Health Organization is population control or reduction. It's a bigger part of what we call family planning. Now it's the global family planning. Yeah. So it's an, the idea is to get rid of people. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. When we come back from the break, I want to talk with you about why would they want to get rid of people. It would seem to me if they're going to chip everyone, mm-hmm. they've got slaves, and the more slaves they have, the more prosperity they would have. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously there's something about yeah. it all that makes them think they're better off with fewer people. Mm-hmm. So we'll discuss that when we get back from this next break. And folks, in the next hour, I will open the phone lines, 1-800-289-1092. We'll be right back. Back. My guest this evening is Alan Watt, and we're talking about the chip. Uh, We may get into some other things, but right now we're talking about the chip. Uh, Alan, before we uh, go to our top of the hour break, which is an ID break, I, I would like to ask you to address this. Why population control? And let me again state why I have that question. If we're all going to be sort of electronic zombies and we will do whatever we're told to do, it would seem to me that the controllers would be better off having more slaves. Uh, we would produce more. Uh, why population control? It's to do with, uh, see, we have, again, our view of what economy is. Uh, there's always another sight, another perception of things. Um, when you think about the needs of the individual uh, to, to survive, we always think of money first. We don't think of food. We think of money to get the food. Uh, so money itself is just a tool of the elite to get us to work for them. It always was. That's why money was introduced. And they tax it back from us. And as long as we accept it, we'll put our labor in, and as long as we get paid. So we work their scheme into existence. We, we, we've done that for centuries and centuries, uh, working towards this global takeover bit by bit uh, to global empire. Um, our function eventually doing that will, will eventually be over. And uh, if you had a brain chip, you wouldn't have to be entertained uh, maybe six hours per day. You could literally work all day. You might, in fact, they've already said you could stimulate the brain so you wouldn't even have to sleep. Uh, you wouldn't get bored doing what you're doing because you'd have no ability to have abstract thoughts or daydream uh, or even see how miserable you were. It would be meaningless. So you would be much more efficient. So a much smaller population can do the, the, the work of, of many, you see. They don't need all the masses uh, to anymore. And plus, the uh, same work uh, burn up fewer resources. Exactly, because everyone uh, at the moment, uh, in a post-industrial era, we're still living in the mode of an industrial era. 
Um, that's why they gave us the automobile. You had to have a, a scattered society able to travel to wherever the work was uh, during that era. And cars are chipped now. They're chipped, and we know they're going to phase them out. That's why they haven't given you any later technology to take over from gasoline. They knew at the beginning how long probably we'd, we'd have it for. And, and the UN's already said that in the, the, the Agenda 21, they want the people to be put into these habitat areas, which are really extensions of the cities. And there'll be no private property. There'll be rental only. Uh, no private transportation. And so we won't need vehicles. Uh, so this has all been planned out before we were even born. Um, this whole phase. How will we get around if we don't have cars? Uh, I think what they're talking about really is uh, what the, the initial, what the UN uh, said many years ago was that in habitat areas you'll have communities that will work on one particular thing uh, for the world. So you'll produce something that the world will need and you won't have to travel outside your community. That's what they meant. will not want to travel, right? You'd have no need to. You wouldn't. Uh, you literally will not. You'd be more like a robot than a person. In fact, you wouldn't. You, for their point of view, it's tremendously efficient. Uh, they won't have to give you education for so many years to do a job. Uh, they can literally download the, it into you what you do, and, and you'll do it. You could be doing. You could be a surgeon one day and, and mucking out a buyer or, or, or a farm the next. It won't matter to you because you won't be cognizant. How close do you think we are to this happening? They have the ability to do it now. It's all ready to go. This is a matter of conditioning the public to actually... It's so amazing how they get us to comply with their wishes till we almost beg them to give us something. And I was thinking about all the hype and crisis they're bringing on now. Terror, as Aldo Huxley said, is a very good tool for mind control. And so if you terrorize the public through real or imaginary threats to come, uh, economic, food, uh, disease, etc., if you keep up the stress of, of panic uh, on a, uh, and gradually increase it, the time would come when most people will break down like Pavlov's dogs, and, and you'll beg them to take the pain of being aware from you. Uh, please take this away, and they'll offer the solution. You know, if you take this, it's better than any tranquilizer, and you'd be surprised how many will just go for it. It, it amazes me how many people believe that it, it is actually possible to create a situation where you are safe from terrorism. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. A real terrorist mm -hmm. will find a way. Uh, I, I know the IRA had a, had a saying that the bomber always gets through. You know? And it's true, because you can't have eyes everywhere. Uh, if they're determined, they would do what they're going to do. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to safety measures trying to make it safer. Mm -hmm. But uh, the idea that, you know, I hear it on the news uh, whenever something happens, people are asking, uh, how could something like this happen? Why didn't the government do this? Why didn't mm -hmm. the government do that? Yeah. Well, uh, look, there's no place on the planet more militarized mm -hmm. than Israel. Yeah. yeah. And they still get hit. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, they have now entered back into Gaza. Um, and, and as a result of something like 130 missile attacks, 
and some kidnappings since they relinquished Gaza to the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were still getting hit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there, there are people with suicide bombers that still get into Israel. Mm -hmm. And they, they have their spies everywhere within the enemy camps and, and informers, and, and it still happens. Yeah. It still happens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I think it's unreasonable for people to believe that the government can keep them absolutely safe. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. But in the hope that they can, they certainly are willing to give up a lot of freedom. It's it's astounding uh, to listen to some of the comments on radio uh, and calling shows, and people actually saying, "I'm a good American. Uh, the government can come into my home at any time, night or day, and go through my stuff. I'm a good citizen. I have nothing to worry about." Uh, that tells me something's happened to their to their brain, actually, and I mean that physically. Uh, I really mean that. Well, yeah. Something has happened. Uh -huh. Um, you know, we have this thing called the Fourth Amendment, mm -hmm. and the Fourth Amendment says they can do that if they have a warrant, uh -huh. yeah. uh, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause and supported by an oath or affirmation, yeah. and particularly describing the person or things to be seized and the location to be searched. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, they're giving that away. Um, Astounds me, but it's it's a reality. It's a reality. Uh -huh. yeah. We'll continue, and we'll open the phone lines when we come back from this break. So don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest is Alan Watt. Alan, we've opened the phone line, and uh, we have a caller. So let's go to the phone line. Caller, uh, you're live on the Kevin Smith Show. If you will, tell us your first name and where you're calling from. Hi, Alan. This is uh, Alex from Toronto. Okay, yeah. Alex. Uh, hi, uh, I've heard a lot of people mention the uh, RFID chip. Um, you heard about it all over the Internet. Uh, but what I've never heard anyone mention is this uh, Loyola University chip. It seems like a very sophisticated thing that no one's ever mentioned. Do you have any proof of this? Yeah, I got a, a fellow to download uh, 600 pages that came out of that university meeting at the time, and then it went off their website, so it was just in time. Yeah. Uh, are you going to post it on your website or post some of it? Or? I, I probably will. Um, when I moved, I, I put the disc in a box as Mark is fishing it out. Uh, and I have heard that done another meeting at the same university since then, but I don't have information on that. Yeah. Okay, great, thanks. Okay, thank you. All right, folks, 1-800-289-1092 uh, is the number to call. 1-800-289-1092. It's sold free throughout the United States and Canada. doesn't work in Alaska, however, so if you're in Alaska, you're going to have to send me a flash message. Flash at KevinSmithShow.com and for all the rest of the world, Flash at KevinSmithShow.com. Call your live on the Kevin Smith Show. Your first name and where are you calling from? Hi, hi, Kevin. It's Al from New York. You know, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I got a couple of things that uh, on my mind. Um, first of all, uh, I listened to Alan's uh, uh, recording and I think he's referring to a company in Japan called Epi. That uh, makes this chip. Now, 
that they uh, licensed it to uh, Malaysian, to the Malaysian government, and it's called the MM chip, that they uh, can put it to bullets, uh, humans, uh, whatever. So uh, if anybody wants to, maybe Alan, pick up on that, or uh, anybody else want to do their DD, they can go to Google and put in uh, FEC Inc. or the MM chip and uh, Malaysia, and it should come up with some information. Okay, uh, Alan, is that a, a chip that you're familiar with, the MM chip? I, I don't know if it's the same one, but I know that Sony. Uh, a few years ago, in all the papers, had an article uh, published to do with this method of transferring. Uh, what they did was they they, they, they used uh, what they said was brain cells, human brain cells, kept them alive somehow, and interfaced them in a tank with silicone chips to see if messages could be transmitted successfully through the chips, through the brain cells. And this was the company, I think, which eventually came up with this, this new type of chip which is ready to go and which does have a, a brain cell type coating on it uh, uh, that, that can integrate with your nervous system. So that I think it was Sony that, that led the field there. Well, Libby, uh I, I believe uh, Japan is the leader in RFID chips. Uh, also, uh, with the GPS, uh, introducing uh, GPS systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing, uh, since the uh, microchip uh, is a, I would say, disruptive technology, um, uh, just like free energy would, uh, if it was uh, to be introduced into society, uh, wouldn't you think that uh, there'd be some difficulty along the way um, introducing it? And in other words, at what level? Who gets chipped and who doesn't get chipped? Does, does the uh, people that work for the insurance companies get chipped? What don't they get yet? Well, uh, once the chip was, was eventually put in, you wouldn't need insurance companies. You, you won't have the same kind. In fact, you won't have what we think of as an economy as such. Uh, there won't be a reward system in the new, the new system that's to come in. Um, in fact, even United, uh, uh, the UN has said that the next type of citizen that will be created will be a world citizen who, who works to serve the world state. That will be their function. And uh, Bertrand Russell, once again in his books, said that a form of, of uh, payment will be uh, put in to a person's bank account at the beginning of every week and a type of credit system or a ration card type system and so many numbers will get put into your bank and this will be used as a form of social control so that if you buck the system or don't agree your credits will be withheld and you can't pay your rent or buy food and at the beginning of every week uh, the same amount of money starts off again you can't save it up so you wouldn't be able to work your way up into this particular class system you have now they're talking about a totally new way of living uh, in the system to come. But the, the old values will be gone. Market, financial market. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you heard me, uh, uh, Kevin. Go ahead. 
How would it uh, affect the international financial markets? It would be the same thing there because uh, the, the whole new system will, will not be based on, on a private uh, reward-type economy at all. That's the system they're going for. They use the old system to get us to work for them, and, and, and we have. We have. We built every machine. We'll put our own children through universities that work in their scientific laboratories. Uh, that system served them very well, and uh, with advanced sciences, etc., they no longer need to keep us going with this, this punishment-reward-type system. Uh, just like money, as I say, is a tool for them, it's the public that have to believe that money is real. Uh, to the big boys, it's a means to an end, uh, and uh, it's almost at that stage anyway. I'll give uh, some of us a chance to uh, call in, uh, Kevin. All right, thanks for the call, Al. Uh, you know, one of the uh, really frightening things, and I don't know that it's related, but one of the really frightening things that uh, I myself watched on television and heard with my ears was Madeleine Albright when um, she was uh, addressing the United Nations stated that she had always viewed herself as a child of the United Nations. And, you know, that was pretty frightening because she's supposed to be a child of America if she's going to be the Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, and what's also interesting is that everybody who is assigned to work at the United Nations swears an oath that they will leave their nation behind and they're now a world citizen. That's been there since it's set up. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that uh, when you uh, you do any kind of contract work that's under the United Nations, you sign a contract stating that you will not speak against them in any way. Yeah, yes, not only that, people don't realize that you don't just uh, apply for a job at the UN. Uh, the UN simply took over, or was the, the phoenix or chameleon that changed in from the League of Nations that was on the go from 1917. And uh, they already had all of these departments set up. And what you're seeing today in the bureaucratic side of it, and these are the important ones, the bureaucrats, um, these are maybe third, fourth generation bureaucrats uh, of, of civil servants, uh, offspring, and, uh, and they go have their own private school to train them to be UN bureaucrats. So it's an in-house training they have with a different education altogether. And also have the UN University in Tokyo. Yes. And I heard only once did, it, uh, did I hear the actual head, the bureaucratic head of a department speaking on behalf of the UN. And this woman did not even mince words with the public uh, like a politician would. He would, he would try and, and dance around and be polite or something, even though he was lying through his teeth. Uh, but this woman just simply dictated what her department was going to do for the world and how we would all obey it, etc. Uh, so you're looking at a very arrogant, uh, in-house trained uh, bunch of uh, brewers, really. You know, at least on a bureaucratic level. Let's go back to the phone line. You're live on the Kevin Smith Show. Your first name and where are you calling from? This is Brent from Wyoming. Hey, Brent. And I'd like to say it's good to hear good Scotland Scotland on the radio. I it is that. Sir. I have cousins in Scotland, but um, you said from what you said, it sounds like this has been going on gradually since. Money was introduced in, in Hammurabi's court. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. 
I, I, money is a tool, as I say. It's a tool. Uh, it, it reminds me of the, of the experiments that laboratories do and, and schools do with, with rats, where you can initially get a rat uh, who's, who's a thinker, a free rat, you might say, non-domesticated, and put him in a cage with a pile of food there, and he'll eat the food. But if you train him gradually, take away that pile of food, and train him to pull a lever, and a seat comes down, and, and after a while, once he's used to that, a few weeks, put the pile of food back there next to the lever, he'll still pull that lever to get that one seat, and then ignore the big pile of food. And that's how what money does. It trains us to bypass our natural needs for survival, and it trains in, in, into a system that where someone has control over that system. And that's why Rothschild, when he was given the Bank of England, he said, I, uh, give me the control of the money, and I care not who makes the laws, because he knew that he would be the guy that made the laws, because uh, the whole economy bases around the, the central bank and the lending. And prime ministers go to the central bank uh, and borrow money every year, cap in hand. Yeah. Or here we come. Mm hmm Yeah. All right, Brent, thank you. 1-800-289-1092 is the number to call, so it's free. If you wish to talk with um, Alan Watt, if you have a comment or a question, or you can send me a flash message, flash at kevinsmithshow.com, if you're outside of our toll-free area, which is all of North America, okay, um, excluding Alaska. I don't know why, but uh, Alaska doesn't participate in this toll-free system that we've got. So, if you're in Alaska or anywhere else in the world, you can send me a uh, flash message, flash at kevinsmithshow.com. Uh, Alan, the, the money system is a system that, as uh, the last caller pointed out, has been around um, for centuries, literally millennia. And so this system towards a one-world system um, has, has been around for millennia. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, it has, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really think, I look at Revelations in the New Testament, and I don't see it as a prophecy. I see it as a plan, and that's what I believe it, it really is. That's why it's written in such mystical, occult-type language as traditional of the mystery religions. So, uh, I want to discuss that with you in just a moment. First, let's go back to the phone line. Mm -hmm. Caller, you are live on the Kevin Smith Show. The first name is where are you calling from? Hi, Kevin and Alan. It's George from New York. And I have a question for Alan. Okay, okay go ahead. Uh, on the, uh, the, the, the shift, it appears that what Alan's saying is we're on the verge of the population reduction and then the shifting of the human race that's left. Uh, when they turn you into a zombie, Will they do it by degree? I think that's the key there. It's going to be, a, it's going to promote, be promoted out there as a form of relaxing a very tense people, a very overstressed people. Initially, the youngsters will go for it because they'll think they'll, they'll be like the, the character in the lawnmower man who can literally be, or, or, or Neo in the Matrix, a superhero. But once everyone has it, or enough people have it, I think the main the switch will be get thrown, and the real function will kick in. And that's what they mean by you'll be altered in the, in the, the blink of an eye. It'll be instantaneous. 
like, you know, they'll, they'll, they may have it, and they probably do have it in people already, but some people will go and there'll be no effect, and they'll say, well, there's no real effect, I'm still big, right? But then mm-hmm. when they fully activate it, you're gone and you won't know anything, right? That's right. It's it's It'll be the end of the individual that you were. In fact, you'll never, you, you couldn't even have a memory to, to try and figure out who you were. It will be unimportant. You'll be a, a robot, basically. Yeah. Robot or cyborg, but not by your. I have nothing against somebody turning themselves into their own kind of cyborg. Matter of fact, it would be interesting. But force, being a forced cyborg or a robot, but you know, no longer you. That's what you're saying. That's it. That's it. But the, the point is that this could happen much, much quicker than people are expecting. Until they come along with the solution. And you, you'll give up everything for, for some peace, you see. But it would be as a form of suicide. It would be, yeah. Uh-huh. And there's people who are saying, quite a few people, that something, expect something to happen this fall. Mm-hmm. That it could come. And some people are saying October. Some people are saying I'm not saying anything. I'm just displaying what I see on the internet. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's, this thing is theoretically what you're saying is ready to go. It could happen any time. They could put this plan like into operation. They certainly could. Uh, there's not a thing you'll see in Revelations that cannot be done scientifically today. Whereas plague, famine, um, fire from heaven, they can do that with satellites. Uh, um, uh, earthquakes, they can do that with uh, the HARP technology. It's in the treaty in the UN. Uh, so all of those things can be done through science. And uh, I'm sure that's why most of these things, these facilities were built. Yeah. With respect to the word of the creator, wherever one may see it, uh, but if you, I think you're right on target when you're saying they gave this book and they're laughing. Uh, I've heard you say before they put this book and taken it out, put it back in, taken it out, that they put it in as their reveal and their plan for the future. And they're laughing at the silly people who go along with their silly religion that has been given to them. With all due respect to the creator and people's beliefs, I'm saying this, but I've been where I'm complaining about, you know? Yeah. And you look at the New Agers too, and what's phenomenal in the New Age movement is, as I say, this, uh, it doesn't matter what name they give a particular sect or group or therapy even, or encounter group, the whole idea is this oneness will all become one. And, and that's a mantra they chant, it's been taught everywhere. That's all by direction, it's not by happenstance or coincidence. It's getting them all psychologically prepared to literally be one. Uh, George, thank you for your call. We're going to have to release the line in order to uh, take more calls. But uh, very interesting concepts that you brought up, and I appreciate that call. Uh, and he brought up something that uh, I, I would like to uh, explore with you a little bit, Alan. Um, he brought up uh, your thoughts about, uh, as best I can understand it, the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. You see that not as a book that... Uh, really belongs in the Bible but was put in there by the one world is that it? <laughs> There's no doubt uh, Revelations is written in a language a particular style which is exoteric for the public and esoteric for the uh, the higher secret societies um, anything that, that a deity would give you should be straightforward you would think 
but meanwhile, you, you've still got Christian sects today who would kill each other tomorrow over the meanings of phrases, etc. It's so obscure to the individual. Um, but, uh, but yeah, through science, it's, you see, the ancient religions uh, are, are so far removed from what we think of today as, as, as traditional, uh, say, Christianity or Judaism. Uh, they had completely different meanings uh, thousands of years ago. Um, even Judaism 2,000 years ago uh, called itself an active religion where they have to find their way to the deity, a deity which even to them was unknown. They couldn't uh, define it as being this or that. Even today that's taught in rabbinical schools. You cannot huma- make a, a deity human, whereas the Christian version, they've made a human-type deity with human emotions and thoughts and feelings. But uh, traditionally in the Middle East, uh, as in Judaism, uh, the deity was something that they would f- find their way to through intellect and through science. And it was in the Renaissance period in, in Europe that this uh, blossomed forth uh, in Queen Elizabeth the first time in her court, in fact. Uh, her court was run by Kabbalists and John Dee when they integrated the Kabbalah into Christianity. And they actually called it Christian Kabbalah in those days, where, where science and mysticism would combine together to, to create a destiny rather than have it happen randomly. They would create and direct a destiny uh, for the world. And John Dee, uh, uh, who worked right at the court for Queen Elizabeth I and who had a lodge, a Rosicrucian lodge, um, coined the term that the British Empire and, and gave it to the Queen. And he put forth his plan for a united world, starting with a British Empire, uh, that would be based on a form of free trade. And any country that would not join and go under the same rulership or system, we can say, today they'd say democracy, uh, would be excluded uh, from trading until they would give in. Um, and that was the beginning of this movement in the 1500s to, to where we are today. Uh, they would take science, which was not to be available to all the public either, and, uh, and direct the course of nature. And you see this favorite uh, activity in the 1500s. Nothing much happened up till then. And suddenly all this activity into the sciences, uh, as though they had to catch up suddenly. And, and sure enough, by Kabbalah and by astronomy, because they work as the ancients do uh, with the zodiac, uh, which works in um, sort of 2,600-year uh, periods. They had to get this done by the age of Aquarius, as they say. And this is taught in all the higher mystery schools and some of the lesser ones. Um, and the age of Aquarius is even written into the Bible in an esoteric way because the, the, the character Jesus in the New Testament tells uh, two of his disciples to go and fetch him a colt. And they were to... To, to ask the man carrying the pitcher of water. Uh, so Jesus has always been symbolized by the fish for Pisces. And that's at all the museums in Europe where the early Christians came in. That was their symbol. It wasn't the cross. It was the Piscean symbol. And, of course, the, the man carrying the pitcher of water signified the term or the length of time he would rule, which was into the age of Aquarius. 
so this is a mystery school that's been here for thousands of years and they give you your, your exoteric religion and most people never figure out the esoteric but it is there yeah all right uh, let's uh, give a telephone number again and, and let me say uh, if you call and it quits ringing that means you're on hold just hold some of you will be able to hear the show and some will not because of various factors on your phone line uh, but uh, it's 1-800-289-1092 1-800-289-1092 if you call it quits ringing that means you're on hold right? and we'll get to you as we can um, so from your point of view then Revelation is the one world, new world order plan rather than scripture. Yeah. It's, it's not a, uh, it's even called Revelation's revealing. You don't, you don't reveal a prophecy. Uh, you, you, what you reveal is a plan. And uh, that's why it's called Revelation's the revealing. It's revealed. So do you have any thoughts on this 666? Oh, I know many of the meanings of it. Uh, I know the esoteric meaning, uh, which most Christians wouldn't like either, but it's there, you know. What is it? Uh, the name of the beast was 666. Yes. And it's, in, it's right there um, in Revelations, where, where all the, the, the main characters dance around their, their god. And they say his name is Holy, Holy, Holy. And Holy, Holy, Holy in Kabbalah is 666. So the God is the what the beast. Hmm. Yeah. Now that's a mind blower. It, it is only if you haven't gone into the, the occult understanding of things. In Judaism, it would be easier to understand because Judaism is based on a balance of two opposites, you might say, um, always in conflict, uh, very similar to Zoroastrianism. Uh, they're also with the balance. You can't have one without the other. And so uh, in some phases of humanity, we are the beast and other times we are the saviors, you might say. So that's really what it signifies. It's, it's the two in one. In fact, in, in Judaism, the deity is both male and female. It's a hermaphroditic figure, always was. And that's in traditional Jewish writings. Uh, if Adam was created in the exact image of God, the, the deity, um, and, and the Greek actually means that, the exact sameness. Uh, and of course, in Jewish theology, that means that if the, it's not, uh, it's strange how they change all the, the words in, in English, but in Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, a compartment was taken from Adam, and it wasn't his side. Where was it? It's down where his genitals would be. All through uh, the, the, the westernized versions for Christians, you always get this piercing in the side, or, or Jacob swore an oath on his, his father's thigh. They always changed the words for politeness sake, but it was always to do with the genitals. And uh, so the compartment was taken, so that was the female part. And from that, Eve was made, which signified the deity was, was both male and female. That's the esoteric part of it, of Judaism. Now, um, I have a, a question that I would like to ask about, um, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, when I said, will it, will it be worldwide? Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that I thought about and didn't ask at the time, and I'd like to go back to that, is if it's going to be a worldwide thing, is it going to happen simultaneously throughout the world? Uh, it's all ready to go in all parts of the world except the Middle East. Why is that? Because all the other countries, if you really look at them, they're all, they've all been standardized into the same system with a central bank, with the same process of what we think is democracy, with the same types and systems and levels of bureaucracies, same money system. They're all the same. They're all clones of each other except for the Middle East. And so what's going to happen with the Middle East? <laughs> they either come in or, or get destroyed. Yeah, the whole world is being standardized right now. Uh, in Yugoslavia, when uh, the UN suddenly decided to go in there, even after the movie Wag the Dog gave us the whole agenda, um, and they followed the movie, <laughs> uh, and Yugoslavia wasn't on the central banking system either. You'll notice it's always countries who, are, who have not gone on to the central and international banking system of the World Bank. That's the countries they're going after. Interesting. East Timor refused to go into debt to the international bank, mm -hmm. and they're having a bit of a uh, revolution over there now. Yes. All right, folks, we'll be back right after these messages. 1-800-289-1092, if that's the number to call. Or you can send me a flash message. You must send it to flash at kevinsmithshow.com. If you send it to any other of our email addresses, it will not be read until after the show. Flash at KevinSmithShow.com. Back to the Kevin Smith Show. We are talking this evening with Alan Watt. And the telephone number, if you have a question or a comment that you would like to make, you can do that toll-free. I pay for the call. 1-800-289-1092 is the number to call. It is toll-free throughout the United States and Canada. 1-800-289-1092. Also, uh, you can send me a flash message if you're outside that toll-free area. Be uh, sure that you send it to flash at kevinsmithshow.com. All right, let's go to the phone line. You're live on the Kevin Smith Show, so if you'll tell us your first name and your, uh, where you're calling from. Hey again, Kevin. I just wanted to ask uh, Alan uh, if he subscribes to any uh, personal belief or the personal God or... Uh, religion or anything well personally uh, all I go with is my own experience because ultimately if, if, if you're made by a creator then uh, why would you need someone else to tell you what it all means uh, that's that's mind control when establishments come forward and tell you the meanings of things or the meaning of life into a tunnel um, so I'd rather not get into a pigeonhole because once you're in a pigeonhole uh, your world view is like Plato's cave and the only entrance is where the light comes through but you can't see the other sides or the top and the bottom so you must go I only go by my own experiences uh, I just want to make another comment. Uh, I don't know if it was Alan or another talk uh, show, uh, radio uh, guest. Somebody said that uh, we only see four percent, and the other ninety-six percent we don't see because of other dimensions. How do we know that those that are planning this uh, can see? Uh, maybe there is a, a real God, 
and they can't say it. Um, I don't think I've said that, although I understand that we, it's true enough, we only see within a limited spectrum. Uh, if we see in a higher frequency, we would see light and different colors um, and this kind of thing. However, why do we even have to go off into speculation? Because if you're made perfectly, surely that's all you would need. So, I mean, I, I would think that man falls short of perfection. Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you there. There's no doubt uh, um, we have a tremendous egos, and it's ego which is pushing this whole agenda uh, through science. I think uh, that this is the key to everything. Uh, if the world, in an allegorical form, uh, meaning nature in itself, was Eden, there's only one road out of Eden, the one that we've taken, and that's through science. Through science, we would conquer nature, and that's what they always meant in the Rosicrucian and in the higher uh, eventual lodges that came out of it. Um, by understanding nature, they would conquer nature and all parts of nature. And what they claim is they're, they're here in all Masonic lodges. They're taught to, to um, perfect that which was left imperfect, which includes man himself. However, they want to do it through science. And we can see everything that they've done to the planet on the, on the road to this uh, utopia of theirs. The horror shows, the wars, the, 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 the destruction of the planet. Um, and then they, then they go and, and give us the glasses, the road-tinted glasses. They sell us them to, to see it through their perspective, uh, to get us back into to order again on, and on board. So it's all to do with, with views and perceptions, how you see things. We are trained in this system always to see from one side but never another. And to get above this and see this, you have to get out of the boxes they've given us, the pigeonholes, and get above it all and look at it all. And then you see the pattern. You see the direction we're in, and you see where they're going. And there's no pretense about this. They do publish where they want to take us, and they've been doing it for centuries. What do you think... Uh, uh, had a lot of uh, science and uh, civilization. How, how come they failed? They, they keep uh, like the, the Tower of Babel and other things mm -hmm. that uh, man uh, was trying to do with their own culture, either in uh, the Middle East or uh, South America. Mm -hmm. They seem to be advanced cultures, the astronomy and so forth. How come they, they didn't continue on their own uh, I think the evidence shows that in the ancient world, um, uh, the Neolithic cultures, there was a universal, a world system at that time. We can't get away from the fact that you'll see the same types of buildings, artifacts, walls, construction, uh, standing stones across the planet. Even in Australia, they have the circles of standing stones. And we see the massive walls in Peru with such uh, incredible uh, free, uh, stone masonry where they've, they've cut them perfectly to fit each other. Um, and never mind the weights of them. Uh, they definitely had those kind of technologies. However, we don't know how advanced they really were in other ways. And I don't think that they really lost it, uh, except perhaps through some catastrophe. Now, Sumer uh, has it on record in their, the annals of their histories that at one time 
uh, before Sumer came along, continents sank into the sea, old continents and kingdoms, and new land came up in certain parts. So it's possible there was some kind of change in the Earth's crust, some catastrophe, a natural phenomena. And, but I don't think the whole idea of the sciences were lost. I think they, they continued uh, covertly and secretly um, uh, behind the scenes always. It's in this last, uh, the 20th century, they came forward more boldly, although they started to come forward in the 1500s, um, as I say, through the Rosicrucian and the Hermetic cults that sprung up in Europe, especially England. So I don't think they ever really lost it. You know. mm -hmm. Okay, Alan, uh, thank you. Kevin? Okay, thanks, sir. All right, folks, 1-800-289-1092. That's the number to call. Toll free, or send me a flash message. Um, you know, uh, I, I announce this every show, that the only email that I read during the show is one account called flash at kevinsmithshow.com. And yet, at the end of every show, I check all of my email and find that people sent questions to the guest, but you sent them to other email addresses that don't get read during the show. Flash at KevinSmithShow.com. Caller, you're live on the air. Your first name and where are you calling from? Hi, Kevin. This is Bill from Quebec. Okay, Michelle from Quebec. Go ahead. The way it sounds, the guest is talking about a uh, world that gets dead. As far as they're concerned, and this came out with the Darwinian era, um, as far as you're concerned, according to, to Darwin and, and the philosophies that came out of Darwin, then all of the uh, the the geniuses, you might say, who could come up through natural selection have already made it. So in other words, the, the, the families which were already established in the 1700s uh, with, with power and wealth and, and intellect and education, the very fact they had made it proved that they were the end product of evolution. That's what they believe. And, uh, and that the commoners would stay commoners from then on. And, and so uh, to them it's no loss. They, they believe they have the genius class within their own genes. What did they do, what would they say about Bill Gates? Oh, Bill Gates wasn't a self-made man. You know, he's, he is a college dropout. Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, Bill Gates is related to the Gates family that was uh, uh, the advisors to old Nelson Rockefeller. Um, they, in fact, Gates and Mackenzie King, uh, who, who was, that was his reward, Mackenzie King, for working for Rockefeller to give him a good PR image after Rockefeller turned the militia loose on the miners and killed them all. Um, Gates and... Uh, uh, Mackenzie King were brought in to give him a PR over image and, and he, now he became the benefactor of humankind. So the Gates family is an old family. They're always connected. Mackenzie King became the Prime Minister of Canada. That was his reward.
And, uh, Alan, you're saying it's not too far into the future, right? It's not too far. I think it's ready, in fact. It's a matter of step-by-step uh, step in the old Fabian style, getting us into a state of panic and crisis until we don't know if we're upside down or, or sideways uh, through terror, fear, and, and etc. Um, eventually, everyone gets to a crisis stage where you break down. And uh, that's what Pavlov was all about. So it was how to destroy the soul of the person, to destroy them, and to they sit there and quiver. And then once they got to that stage, then the controller had them for life. They'd do anything they were told. So you can bring it, the whole population into a crisis stage if you simply keep up the pressure long enough and then offer the solution to take their pain away. Yeah. These are ancient techniques. Once you're chipped, there's no way out. Once it's there, that's it. It's bound. It literally intertwines with with your own bodily cells. And uh, well, maybe you could cut it out. However, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a fail-safe device in them. You know. All right. Let's go back to the phone line. Last call. You're live on the Kevin Smith Show. Your first name and where are you calling from? One more time, Kevin. All right. Uh, I want to ask Alan about Zachariah's fiction's work and others that are proclaiming the uh, Anunnaki and their uh, visitation uh, to Earth. Uh, how does this all fit in with the, uh, the coming of the, the New World Order? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't go along with uh, Sitchin's interpretation. Uh, his interpretation is his own. It's unique. Uh, no one else agrees with him. And in fact, he's not taken seriously in the university circles. On, on, uh, uh, so, so really, uh, to me, it's, uh, there's two possibilities. That whole Anunnaki. See, Anunnaki literally always meant, even in Egyptian, Anu always meant spirit. Anunnaki meant spirit of the earth. So he's given his own interpretations to fit a story which has been built upon. Now, all, all that can be built upon a faulty foundation is therefore faulty. It doesn't matter how much speaking comes afterwards and how many repeat it. It doesn't make it true. But there's a lot of work and effort gone into this to make us all believe this because uh, even in the early 1900s, uh, John Dewey was the first person to say if we can convince the public of a threat from outer space, they'll all band together to fight it. The whole world will become one. Uh, Ronald Reagan used that same phrase in many of his speeches. So this threat from outer space has always been used uh, by the big boys. So you don't see any validity in that? Uh, the idea of extraterrestrial intelligent beings or uh, people on other planets, races on other planets, you don't, you don't buy that? I don't have to uh, buy it because uh, what I see are groups of men going into the Bilderberger meetings or the NAFTA meetings or even before that the European meetings and signing deals uh, to, to create our future for us. I don't have to look into space to see aliens doing it. Yeah. I don't have to shift the blame. Yeah, but in, in uh, forgetting about shifting blame, mm -hmm. do you where where do you stand on that? Do you think there are extraterrestrial races? I, I only go on evidence that I experience. And uh, now I know here's the thing. Um, I've seen flying saucers. Uh, I've seen them near air bases, air force bases in Britain. 
the sciences are so far advanced, we know that they had come out the ground at Area 51, another military base. And uh, so, as far as I can see, on the evidence we have, they, they are made here by by people, scientists. And uh, I don't have to go into outer space to see where the technology came from. When you see the Nick Bagage technology has been kept quiet for all this time, what else has been kept quiet? Uh, this is because there are higher levels of sciences that the public never have access to. And that's how you, you always maintain control of the public. You don't share power by giving them the latest anything. Yeah. You know, uh, I've said it many times on this show that um, during Gulf War One, when the world was absolutely astounded at the high technology guided bombs and so forth, mm -hmm. smart bombs they called them, yeah. they were being used in uh, Gulf War One. Norman Schwarzkopf said this is obsolete technology. Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, everybody's forgotten about the Star Wars scenario during the Reagan years, and they put batteries of satellites, high-tech satellites up there, which could literally irradiate a whole continent if they, if they all worked in unison. So sure, there's that. And what gets me is them still putting soldiers into the battlefield with, with firearms using ball and powder. After a thousand years, it doesn't matter how they dress up the, the firearm, it's still the same technique. Uh, and it's all incredibly obsolete, so it's to fool the public that this is all that you really have. That's, that's the big con game. Yeah. Will you paint a, a rather ominous picture of the future? Is there any way to forestall it? Is there any way to change it? it only people's awareness. And ultimately, it comes down to an individual thing, because the whole movement for the last hundred years especially has been a movement, uh, actually since the 1800s in Marxism, was, was unification and collectivism. It was a war against individuality and individualism. And people had to regain their individualism and their own free thought and decision-making decision capabilities. Uh, we've been domesticated to the extent where we take it for granted that somehow we're looked after by some unseen better type of human than ourselves. And we can sit back and enjoy the sports while uh, these, these better types can deal with all the problems for us. We're not involved in our decision-making, really. We are domesticated. And so how, how do we undomesticate ourselves? It's a matter of reclaiming it as, as doing your own investigations into the realities behind things, not, not that which simply fascinates you. Uh, they can fascinate you forever in circles, but, but the real nitty-gritty stuff, which is often boring reading, but it's your, your survival hangs upon it. If you don't do that, then you won't know what's happening to you or, or others, and you're more willing to go along with the crowd. Uh, it's, this is a war against the individual. That's what it really is. So uh, we have one minute left. Tell me how I, as an individual, can reclaim being an individual. It's reassessing everything you've learned in life. Uh, then again, re reassessing it again and proving those things uh, that matter to you proving for yourself, not on hearsay, or because it's fascinating, um, and then taking that, that data that you come up with and looking around you at those you care about and saying, is there anything worth hanging on to here? And if you say yes, 
then you have to stand up as an individual and start disclaiming what is happening uh, to those around you. You have no choice in the matter. The choice, well, what other choice is there? We can watch the sports till it's time for the chip, you know. Yeah. Well, freedom is a lonely business. It is, yeah. It is a lonely business. Alan, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight, and I certainly hope you'll come back and talk with us again. It's been a pleasure to be to be on. Yeah. All right. If you will, just stay on the line with me for a moment. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan Watt. And you've been listening to The Kevin Smith Show, where we talk about everything strange and weird and futuristic. We talk about paranormal things, we talk about space, and we talk about the future. I'll be back tomorrow night, and I hope you'll be back. My friends call me Steelite. My enemies do, too. You can call me whatever you want. Just keep coming back again and again and again. Until tomorrow night. So long, everybody. <laughs>